0: A reading from the twelfth chapter of the Gospel according to John, beginning with the twentieth verse. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a wheat of grain falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love this life, Love their life, lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. No. not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out and die when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Word of God for us. The people of God. Thanks be to God. That's a heavy text. It comes to us on the heels of dealing pretty heavily with the crucifixion of Jesus during Lent and asking ourselves some questions about this crucified Messiah, which for our Jewish forebears would have called that an oxymoron. Something that can't be, kind of like preacher intelligence. Didn't want to say army intelligence. Might insult somebody. But that's the old joke, right? Jim's agreeing with that. You can see him. (laughs) An oxymoron is just at the forefront of this text. How can Jesus being crucified on a tree and becoming a curse according to Scripture glorify Him? How can it glorify the Father who sent Him? This is what was at the core of Paul's word to us that we heard just seems like a short while ago. The message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. And in the midst of all of that pondering about the foolishness of the cross, this strangeness, this odd way that God has worked on our behalf, we've asked questions that you have had opportunities to answer. And I'm going to ask you again, at risk of it being annoying, because I just don't really care if you're annoyed by them, I want you to answer them. Are you still in love with Jesus, church? Are you ashamed of Him? Do you remember His word to us? Don't be ashamed by me. For those who are ashamed of me in this world, I will be ashamed of before my Father. What a strange and odd word for someone so merciful and gracious and full of love to say. But it communicates to us that in order to truly become one with Him, in order to truly be in relationship with Him, in order to truly serve Him, in order to truly have faith in Him, we must move past Our misgivings about raising ourselves up and being great in this world and plunge headlong deep into giving ourselves for the world the way that Jesus has. Because Jesus says, whoever would serve me will follow me. And what Jesus was talking about was not walking headlong into a fat bank account, not walking headlong into God blessing your business, not walking headlong into personal security. He was talking about walking headlong into Jerusalem, knowing that they were going to put Him on a tree. And He said to His disciples, get ready to take up your cross. And all of these words have tremendous weight if we will slow down and get away from one thing. All of this, this whole nuanced presentation of the Gospels and of Paul about how something that was meant for bad, something that the Romans meant to demonstrate that the God of Israel was no God at all, that this Messiah could not be a Messiah, that this one who claimed that God was with him, that God certainly was not with him because the Roman gods had not sanctioned him at all. This one, saying these words, has a purpose for that cross. And if we can get past treating Jesus as a means to an end, what we might find out is that we, like those Greeks who came on this day many years ago, truly do want to see Jesus. What do I mean by that? Let me tell you a helpful story that might get us into it. I have to put my reading glasses on now. There was an old man in Phoenix. Old people, don't be mad at me. That's what my story says. There was an old man in Phoenix. He called his son in New York and said, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you something. He said, what, Dad? Well, son, your mother and I are divorcing. After 45 years, I have decided I have had enough of this misery. And he said, Pop, what are you talking about? And the man said, We can't stand the sight of each other any longer. We're sick and tired of each other. I'm sick of talking about it. So you can call your sister in Chicago and tell her, I just don't want even think about it anymore. And he hung up the phone. Can you imagine getting that phone call? especially right at Thanksgiving. Frantic, the son called his sister and he says, hey, dad just called and he says, they're getting a divorce. And the sister says, like heck, they're not getting a divorce. She says, I'll take care of this. So she calls Phoenix immediately and screams at the old man, you are not getting a divorce. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back and we will both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't you do a thing. Do you hear me? And she hung up. The old man hangs up his phone, turns to his wife. He says, okay, he says. They're coming for Thanksgiving and they're paying their own way. (laughs) That's what it means to use something as a means to an end. The old man wanted his son and daughter home for Thanksgiving. Do you see that? So he concocted a lie. And boy, don't we love it when politicians say, let me be clear. Did y'all hear all that on the news this week? I've thought about starting to play, let me be clear, bingo, and see what I could win. (laughs) Let me be clear. They concocted a lie to get to an end, to an end, to get to a desired end, a desired outcome. The old man told a story. Now, you've heard the saying, the ends justify the means. That's not true. That's created by a group of philosophers called Epicureans who believe that we should be able to do whatever the heck we want to with absolutely no recourse. The ends never justify the means. The question is always, are the means holy or not? Is what we're about to do holy or not? But when we use something as simply as a means, we're treating it as if it's just a tool. We're treating it as if it's something that's given to us that has no power in and of itself. We're treating something as if it has no... Real presence to us. I've known people who treated people like a means to an end. Every relationship in their life was designed to get something for themselves. You know people like that? That's a horrible way to go through life. Listen, dear ones, when Christians focus on Jesus as a means to get to heaven, we're doing the same thing to Him. When people focus on Jesus as a means to get blessings in our lives, we're doing the same thing to Him. When we focus on Jesus as a means to get breakthroughs, we're doing the same thing to Him. When we focus on Jesus solely for personal healing, we're doing the same thing to Him. What the cross is intended to show us is that Jesus is worthy of knowing whether we get anything from Him or not. That's why Paul says this tree that was lifted up in Jerusalem that the Messiah hung on has become for us a sign of the wisdom of God. It is a demonstration that God loves us so much. And in this way, that He lifted up His Son on a cross as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert so that we might look upon Him and live. But that's not the end. Jesus is the end. The means is the Word of God and prayer and the fellowship of the church and the community that gets us to the place where we can want to see Jesus. But if we're always approaching Jesus, thinking, oh, if I can just stay in Jesus, I'll get to heaven. Well, you're not after Jesus. You're after heaven. Do you see the problem with that? It's like using Jesus as a divine screwdriver that can just tighten your life up a little bit. These people came, and we don't, we're we not told why, but there are several possibilities. You know, it could have been that they were in the court of the Gentiles when Jesus came in and threw the money changers' tables over. It could have been they had seen Him teach. It could have been they had heard Him say something that, that pricked their minds. They were followers of the God of Israel, clearly, because they were there for festival worship at Passover. But something intrigued them about Him. And He came to His disciples and they didn't say, we want what y'all have. They didn't say, we want to be part of the club. They didn't say, we think that if we serve this guy, we'll get something out of it. They said something very specific. We would see Jesus. My God, that we would all desire to see Him instead of desire what He can do for us. To truly embrace who He is. To truly embrace this magnificent wonder of love and mercy and grace. This light of the world. This One who is called Logos. The activating principle of all things. The One who holds all things together. The One who created all things and for whom all things were created. The One who holds every single atom of the world in order, and motion, and love. If we would long to see Him, how might our lives be different? If we would long to see Him at work in the world, how might our lives be different? If we would long to see Him in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the church, how might our lives be different? If we would long to see Him, I'm grabbing hold of the idea of seeing as a way of knowing. That's what they wanted. They wanted to make contact with Jesus and establish relationship with Him. And here's what Jesus said about eternal life. He didn't say it's heaven. He says it's knowing God. Knowing the One who sent me. We're invited into something that is so much more important than what we will get out of it. We are invited into a deep, loving, merciful, gracious relationship with the One who formed the universe with the words of His mouth. If you ask me, I will confess right now, yes. Part of my psyche holds on to the hope of heaven. And it gives me comfort in this world. But what I really want is to be comforted by knowing Jesus. I don't want to treat Jesus as a means to an end. I want to be like these Greeks who came and say, I wish to see Jesus. If you want a compelling reason to worship, if you want a compelling reason to be active in the church, there it is. It's here, in this place, as we serve God and other people together that we see Christ alive and active. Do you wish to see Jesus, church? There's a new question for you. Let's go him again. Are you in love with Jesus? Are you still in love with Him even after you know all this new stuff about Him and being hung on a tree? Are you still unashamed of Him? Deep in the well of your heart, Do you wish to see Him? Dear ones, let that desire drive your life. Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is God's desired end of all things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.